Hey, my guest today is Neil Patel, co-founder of Crazy Egg and Hello Bar. Neil helps companies like Amazon, NBC, GM, HP, and Viacom grow their revenue. He has been called a top influencer on the web, and Entrepreneur Magazine says he's created one of the 100 most brilliant companies in the world. He was recognized as a top 100 entrepreneur under the age of 30 by President Obama and one of the top 100 entrepreneurs under the age of 35 by the United Nations. Neil has also been awarded congressional recognition from the United States House of Representatives. He joins us today to share his success story. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Fortinet. Hey, great to have you on the show. I appreciate you taking the time. Where am I finding you at today? I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, gosh. I love Las Vegas. Are you going to go out to dinner tonight, I hope? Mm, probably not. Just stay in, relax. <laughs> you know, I always enjoy when I'm, well, you must be li- Are you living out there now? I live in Seattle and Vegas, yeah. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Because I saw in the bios that you were, you actually grew up in Orange County. That's right, Orange County, California. Yeah, well, that's a, a good place. We've got an office there for one of my operations, and I've had numerous uh, businesses there. Hey, what surprises you most uh, when it comes to analytics and looking at uh, the way in which people look at marketing and selling their businesses? What surprised me most about analytics is a few things. The, the first is, a lot of people don't look at the data and they don't make decisions off of it when they have it, right? If you have an analytics platform and it's telling you, hey, this is right or this is wrong or this is what's producing more money, you should follow it and do more based off the data. People, though, prefer using their gut feeling. That's the biggest thing that shocked me. The second is most people don't even look at their analytics on a regular basis. Yeah. Is that, is that a big company versus small company thing, though? Do you think you think that bigger companies look at the analytics more than the small companies do? We actually find that the smaller ones look more than the bigger ones. Is, it, is why is that? To be honest, I have no clue. <laughs> you know, I wonder if it's because that maybe the smaller companies are a little bit younger, a little bit more in tune with the things that we're seeing in marketing today in terms of it's changed. Is that do you think that could be it? Um it could be. It, you know what I think it is? The bigger companies are so large, they have so many other things to do that they just don't pay attention to it as often. Yeah, it could be. I, I think also, though, I think it's got to be it's a little bit of behavior, in my opinion. And I'm just looking at Look, and I'm an old school guy. You know, I'm 55 years old. I'm a pretty good marketer. I would consider myself one of the best. But there are things that I see every day, and I'm going, holy crap. Where'd they come up with that? And then I've got to find myself getting educated on it, which means, you know, you know, I heard somebody referring to here a couple of years ago, Yahoo being old school marketing and which, which it is, you know, in terms of display marketing and the way in which we looked at it. So, and that, that's why I'm wondering if it's an old, a little bit, you know, like big versus small, when the bigger companies have got, you know, quite frankly, I get, they've got a lot of older people in it. And I was just wondering if we thought that might be it. No, I, I think it's more so the bigger companies just have a lot more on their plate. 
Yeah. What's been the biggest thing that you, when you've looked at analytics and you've you've owned a couple of businesses, you've sold them off, and and do, now you're doing a little bit more angel investing, consulting work. But what, what you know when you when you've looked at the analytics, what was the biggest thing that jumped off for you um, and said, "Man, I need to be doing more of this." When I look at the analytics, the biggest thing that jumped out to me was uh, it, it was more so having to deal with, hey, you're getting a lot of people leaving c- certain pages. So when you have a funnel, there's a lot of pages that people bounce off of or that's what they leave. Mm-hmm. And what really hit me years ago is, hey, if I want to improve these numbers, I need to really start doing a ton of A-B testing. And I forgot how many years ago this was, but that's when I started getting heavily into A-B testing. But not a lot of guys do that. I, I, I'm still surprised. Most people don't. Not, I would suggest you that most people still don't even know what A/B testing is. That's correct. A lot of people don't know what it is. And, well, so let's talk about it. So explain. Let's get to the basics for a lot of people who are listening, because the, the things you and I are talking about are a little bit above what no, the normal guy would do. Although I would say this is the this is table stakes. If you've got any kind of marketing online, which is what you're doing for the most part, if you're doing any digital work, if you're selling products online, you've used a couple of different terms here, which will pop up, like your sales funnel, the funnel, uh, which you can look at a more traditional business or more digital business. But the way in which we look at that, it's game changers and is now table stakes. So let's explain to them what just simple A-B te- testing is. Yes, think of it this way, right? You have a website, um, and your website is, let's call it A. And if you create a website called B, how do you know which one will do better, drive more traffic, more mm-hmm. sales, right? With A-B testing, how do you know which one's going to drive more sales? So what you end up doing with A-B testing, it's all about creating multiple variations, and then the software shows the user both. And from there, you'll see which one's driving more sales. Typically with A-B testing, you don't change the whole site, though. You change more so a specific landing page. You could do this, let's say, with your checkout page. Yep. Or you change the, or you could change the message, right? You could even change a little, a little bit of the graphics as well. But you probably, you know, I would look at it from a message perspective. If you if you've got the semantics down of like what it should look like and feel and and be and who the brand is, then really all you're doing is changing the message or the offer. Yeah, and on top of that, what you'll really see is messaging typically has the biggest impact on conversion. And 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 what kind of messaging works best? Whatever your users want. There's no right answer for yeah, that. Yeah. More so, you got to survey people, find out what issues they have with your messaging, what's not making sense to them, and slowly start fixing it all. Yeah, and, st- and step by step. Because there's, you know, when you look at the sales funnel, what would you typically tell people in bringing people down the funnel what they should probably have in, in everything that they do? If you're looking at a campaign, what, what would they want to have every single time they put together something? Well, with the sales funnel, the whole thing, what makes uh, conversions really go up, is a thorough funnel. And that's what most people don't have, in which they'll set up the sales funnel like the home page, checkout page, thank you page, etc. There's maybe more steps in between. But what about all the people that don't purchase? That's the majority. Mm-hmm. So having something like email follow-up sequences, if they open, send them these emails. If they don't open and click through and buy, send them these other emails. That's what really helps boost sales more yeah. than anything else. Yeah, and then would you have some type of trigger, like a trigger offer or something that you would put in there? 
Yeah, you can test out different offers based on how engaged they are. Yeah. So, and and just for for those people that are listening, you know, a lot of people will use some type of trigger, and typically it's a low trigger. Maybe it's a free report, or it's a dollar for this, or ten dollars for this, or it could be you know a thousand dollars depending on what you're selling. But you get them to trigger it, and that triggers the, the intent to buy, and then you move them down the funnel even faster. Um, and those, exactly. Yeah, those are typically ones that people would use. So, Neil, I want to go back a little bit to your history because I, I think it's really cool to, to go back and how you got started. But um, you kind of grew up in a middle-class family, and you worked your first job was right there in Orange County at Knott's Berry Farm. What did you do when you first got started? Well, when I first got started... Uh, it was more so just, are you talking about with my first job or first Yeah, no, yeah, at the theme park. What did you do when you were working at the theme park? Taking tickets, cleaning, what? Yeah, cleaning toilets. Really? Is that what you did? Yeah. Yeah, I did that. That was, was, was kind of like my first, one of my first jobs. I was a janitor at Gibson's department store, man. I could clean a toilet and a bathroom like nobody else. That's why I still like a clean bathroom, you know? No, I, I, I'm the I feel I can do toilets better than most people. <laughs> it's, you t- I take great pride in that, by the way, too. So that's what you should. And then I, I saw your second job was selling vacuum cleaners door to door. That's right. Talk to me about that, man. That had to be something. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Uh, I did a kind of like door knocking, kind of get in there, sell people vacuums. The issue is I was selling people who couldn't afford it. Yeah, which is so I got one sale, and then they ended up returning it. Oh man! So what? What? What company was it? A Kirby Vacuum. Oh, it was Kirby? Oh, Kirby's a great vacuum man. If I, you talk about an old school vacuum cleaner, that's an old school. I used to have a Kirby. Yeah, they're really good vacuums. Yeah, I won. I actually won one in a drawing back when I was living in Sioux Falls. Right when I right when I first got married, I won a Kirby vacuum cleaner from Fred Bear's furniture store. And it was uh, and you're talking about a what about almost 2 grand worth of vacuum cleaner. Yeah, it's expensive. It's like 1,600, 1,700, yeah. something like. It's a you you if you have a Kirby, you got one for life. Of course they look like they were most of most Kirby's look like and I don't know if they still look like that today, but most Kirby's look like they were your grandmother owned them. Yes. Yeah. I'm like I think these everyone's buying diapers. That's a new version of a Kirby, is my guess. <laughs> All right, hey, let me take a quick break, but I do want to come back to that, but I, because I, I want to visit a little bit more. It may take hard work and sweat and tears to become a successful entrepreneur, but that doesn't mean we can't have some help along the way. I tell you what, my help is I pick up a double shot of Dunkin' Espresso every morning to help me take on the challenge of running my own business, or I should say businesses. Uh, whether you're an entrepreneur or a CEO, Dunkin' is there for you. So America and all business. With Jeffrey Hazlett, we run on Duncan. Do you drink coffee at all, Neil? I don't drink coffee at all. You don't? You're What are you, like a, a real healthy kind of guy? Yeah, no tea, no coffee, although tea's not that bad. Yeah, tea, tea's not bad. And I don't, I would say coffee's not bad compared to what I usually drink. But so they're, you know, I, I, I kind of like it. So let's get back to the vacuum cleaners. What, when you were door to door, I mean, what was it like to have to get the motivation to get up and go out there and literally go door to door. It was uh, well, I needed money. <laughs> that was the motivation. Yeah, you wanted to eat. Was that? Did you do that in Orange County, or where was that at? I did in Orange County, yes, and I did in North Orange County, which is away from the water where people didn't have money. Yeah, then you you weren't in the rich parts. You weren't in 
like uh, Laguna Beach or somewhere else in those. But you'd have ended up talking to housekeepers for the most part, wouldn't you, if you went down there? Yeah, yeah. exactly. But if we were in those areas, it would be way easier to fill the vacuum. So we weren't that smart with how we picked it. Yeah. And did you pick out your own area? And that's did you? What did you learn from that experience? The one besides you didn't want to do it. What else did you learn? Uh, well, the biggest thing I learned is if you want to make money, you got to be persistent. Nothing's easy. Mm-hmm. So I was knocking on the doors and just going at it. The other thing I ended up learning is you got to be creative. Yeah. When I found that people couldn't afford it, I did realize I can make money cleaning my room. So I'd like vacuum and shampoo and make some extra money from that. Yeah. And did you do did you do that on the side? Uh, well, I did it while I was selling. Uh-huh. I was already vacuuming and cleaning the carpet. And they said, you know, they weren't interested. I'm like, hey, would you like me to clean more of your house? I'll charge you X dollars. <laughs> how much? And how did you did you convert that over? And they gave you like twenty bucks or something? Yeah, it worked well. Is that right? You did you pick up more making more money that way than you did by selling the vacuums? Obviously. Probably. I did. Yeah. Because I always found one vacuum and then they returned it. So technically, I made no sales, right? Yeah. So, what applications do you make when you when you know you started building your other businesses that you've got Crazy Egg and um, let's see, Kiss Metrics and Quick Sprout? So, when we talk about those. What I mean, what things do you take from that that you put into those kinds of businesses? Yeah, the big thing that I take from that one. Is- you know, from the Kirby experience, is you got to really sell it. Don't expect people to just buy. They come to your website if you don't sell. If, if you don't ask for money, people aren't going to just grab you, open up their wallet, and give it to you, right? Mm-hmm. You got to actually sell whether you like it or not. Yeah. Do you find it hard? Do you find it easy or hard for yourself to sell? Easy. Yeah. And wh- why do you think that? Do you, is it your personality, or just because you like to do it, or what? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I would say it's, I'm just naturally decent at selling, talking, communicating. I think it goes with, like you said, my personality. Mm-hmm. That'd be my best bet on why I don't mind it or why I like it. Right? For example, my business partner, he prefers engineering. He doesn't like selling, mm-hmm. and it's just his personality. He loves helping people out for free. Yeah. Did you, as you started to learn to sell, did you learn some of the classics in terms of like trial closes and summary closes, direct closes, choice closes, things like that? Or you, you just started doing it? I just started doing it. I didn't learn anything. <laughs> so never picked up those skills along the way. Or you probably picked them up. You just didn't know you were doing them. Exactly. Yeah. So you're you're doing some inve- well. Let's go on to the next one. I want to talk about you. You started the next thing you did. You started your first online venture, which is a job board named Advice Monkey. And, but I think you were what, 15 when you started that. Yes, I was 15 years old. Yeah, it didn't do well, but I started it when I was young. Yeah, but and why didn't it do as well? I didn't know how to generate traffic at the time, and I didn't know how to generate revenue. Eventually, I figured out the traffic part. I could have figured out the revenue part. Yeah, just couldn't make the connection. So, so, and and so, what have you found as a result of that lesson of driving traffic but not getting to the revenue? What does that mean for you? Well, from the traffic part, I learned that hey, traffic's very valuable. Businesses will pay for it, and that's when I said, you know what? Let me just focus on helping other people get more traffic. Mm-hmm. Is that still hold true today? Yeah, I really, well, I'm good at the monetization part now, but I still help people get more traffic. 
Yeah, because well, because at least if you get some traffic and more people looking at it, the chances are you can catch somebody if the offer is good enough or the service is good. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and then that kind of you know launched your career in, in, in online marketing, which you know there's a number of people that are out there doing it. Not everybody's doing it well, which then became what Kiss Mastery, Crazy Egg, Quick Sprout. Tell me about the trans transition to those kinds of companies. Yeah, so you're saying, uh, can you repeat the question? Yeah, sure yeah. No, when you, you, you move, you, you, you get out of school, and then you, you're going to start up another yeah. company, Kiss Metrics, Crazy Egg, Quick Sprout. So what was kind of like the print trans, transition? You were still in high school? When, did it, when was the first company after that started? How did that go? Sure. So the first one in high school was an online marketing agency where we helped people grow their traffic. Then from there, we realized marketing wasn't scalable, too much of consulting wasn't. So we created a software company called Crazy Egg. As we were creating Crazy Egg, we noticed it was hard to track our lifetime value of our customers. So we created Kissmetrics to help us solve that. And, uh, you know, I blogged on ClickBot.us. So, and why did you create the different companies? Why not just have them as services of the companies? Why, why, why create separate companies? We couldn't raise money for Crazy Egg, but investors liked the idea of just creating a separate company called Kissmetrics. So we spun it out, created a new one, and we raised money for it. Oh. So it was more of a practical decision rather than, than just a philosophical one. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Are you are you one of those? Are you more along those lines in terms of taking advantage of more? of the situation that's in front of you rather than maybe being a little bit more strategic on that side? Yeah, you know, it wasn't too strategic, but the option was pretty good in which spin out of the company, raise cash for it. I was like, all right, this is a good deal. So Mm -hmm. why not? I was young too. Yeah. And how many of those have you done now? Uh, Ventures on the company? Yeah, yeah, where you've created it and then sold it off at this point. Uh, well, Kissmetrics is still owned by the people I don't work there, but yeah. uh, we've only really sold one uh, company and it's called Okay. And and what's the primary piece of the business that you're doing today? I know you're writing for, you know, for uh, Inc. Magazine, Fast Company, Forbes, Entrepreneur, but you, where you're contributing in those areas. What's the primary piece today? Yeah, for me, I just enjoy blogging and helping people out. So mm-hmm. I think it's fun to just write, educate, and people get value from it. Mm-hmm. And what's what's the thing that you, you that you give the most advice on to entrepreneurs today? The thing I give the most advice on mm-hmm. is usually something related about traffic building. So from and it's usually around SEO or content marketing. Yeah. And what's the what's the biggest piece around that? The biggest piece around that, I would say, is uh, how to structure your site so that way searching can love it more. Mm-hmm. See, a lot of people believe that it's just about building links, but it's all a lot of it. It comes out the user experience. If you can create an awesome user experience, you can get people to really love the site. If you can cross-link throughout your internal pages, it helps a lot. But just doing a lot of those things really does help grow your traffic in the long run. So, and, and what's the best way they should structure it in order to get that awesome user experience? So if you if you're gonna give yeah. me if you're gonna tell me look Jeff no shit get these three things done what are they? Yeah, so a lot of it comes down to A/B testing, mm-hmm. but typically it has to come down to the content. 
the second thing is like so with the content it's just making sure it's amazing people are like wow this is useful I understand what it is etc the second thing is user uh, like user experience how are they looking at the site navigating flow is there anything that's confusing so removing all that kind of stuff the third thing I would say is when you have your whole site what most people don't actually do is cross-link if you know the certain pages are doing really well well link it up within your content you know and crossing within your website in essence you're taking one page of your site and you're linking to another page of your site and it helps boost the rankings of the other page that you're linking to yeah so they don't get the organic reach that they could probably get if they were to do that that's correct yeah so you know because i'm sitting here thinking about well, the three pretty simple things but i would imagine most people only focus on what it looks for the most part not necessarily, and maybe, and quite a bit on the content, but I, I'll guarantee you most companies or owners or leaders of companies aren't thinking about the user experience like they should. And that's got to be probably the biggest mistake they're making. Yeah, no, they're usually not. Yeah. And, and, and which would be more important, the user experience or the cross-linking? If I had a pick, mm-hmm. I would actually say the... For rankings, cross-linking. Yeah, yeah, in terms of doing it. There's a number of tools that are out there now that I'm finding, at least, that, that are backfilling stuff as putting content behind the pages, too, right? I mean, that's a good trick. Yeah, but it doesn't work as well as if you manually did and you put it in the right places. Mm-hmm. And that's because it gets around the other, the, what you're talking about is taking advantage of the analytics, or I don't know if it's the analytics, but um, the algorithms that Google's using. Yeah. In the way in which they do it, which and they always keep changing it too, right? Yep, they always change it. Yeah. It's never any game of cat and mouse. Yeah, is it better to, that I, would it be better if I were a business who's listening to us today to have somebody that's more of a consultant that's helping me, or is there a software that I should be looking at using? And, and if it, what would that be? Yeah, it's, uh, you can end up using software, but the software won't end up perfecting anything. It's more so you need to either do it yourself or hire someone to just go through the whole site and start fixing everything. Software can really tell you where the errors are. Yeah. yeah but who do software you... Software can't tell you you should do this when you're not doing it. Yeah. At least there's no SEO software out there that I know of that says, hey, you only have five you know, internal links uh, to this one page and it's ranking high. You should change it. Or a software, t- I don't see too many softwares telling you, hey, here's your title tag. It's not getting too many clicks. Um but your ranking is pretty decent. If you adjust it, you'll get more clicks, and here's what you should adjust it to. The software helps with some of it, and identifies a lot of the problems, but it can't always give you the right solution. Yeah. How do you go about finding the right guy or gal that or company, uh, if you're a little bit bigger? How do you go about finding the right person? Because not everybody knows what they ask for. What, what questions should they be asking? The biggest question I ask is, what would you do if you were working here? And have them break down the specific tactics. Not just telling you, hey, I'll optimize this or I'll link more internally. I'm like, no, no, give me exact specifics on what you would change. And have them give you, would you, would you go as far as to say, hey, um, here, here, here's the money I've got, or would you go as far to say, at least give me, give me an outline of what the plan would look like and what it would cost. Yes, more so the plan and what it would cost. Yeah, I like that idea. I think that's a, that's the, when I was find things, you know, Neil, in every interview that I think about, that I go like. Hmm, what did I learn? That's that's probably a key learning I'm going to come back to at the end of the thing, uh, into the show because I, I like that. I like that. I think that's a pretty good idea. Well, what what's the what's the other what advice uh, 
you know, because you're starting now to invest in companies and do some of that. You know, I bought and sold over 250 companies in my career, about 25 billion. Well, what advice? What advice are you you give to to a new startup? The biggest advice I give to a new startup is iterate fast, learn from your customers, and keep iterating fast. You don't always know what you're going to build, the right thing or the wrong thing, but you know what? If you can keep moving and iterating fast, learning from mistakes, you're much better off. Yeah, so being agile, agile, agile in terms of pulling yeah. that together. That's a, that's a tough one. And uh, how do you, when you were running your company, how did you, did you put systems in place or did you have meetings that you had on a regular basis that helped you do that? Yeah. Uh, well, we used to use project management. Now there's tools like Slack, which help, and Trello. But we should just use Basecamp when we first started out. Yeah, well, a lot of a lot of people do and still use Basecamp. But uh, uh, Slack, I know our team uses Slack, and others use uh, different pieces to be able at least to to at least map it out and then have a process for it, right? Yeah. The key is to have a process, even if it's just a meeting where we sit down and look at the key things, right? I mean, you could at least do that if you. you know, I mean, that's just one step in the whole piece. It's amazing that people it's but it is amazing i just blows my mind every time i turn around that people don't do the basic kinds of things that they should be doing what is is, is there anything that really surprises you with regards to that no not really right it's i've seen it so often that i'm used to it <laughs> and and uh, it's yeah okay i don't expect any less i know that sounds bad but that's the reality of the situation. It, 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 I, it's, I don't get sad about it anymore, right? It is what it is. You know, you can't stop exactly. stupid. Yeah, you can't stop stupid. I mean, it's just like, why wouldn't you look at the basic analytics of your company every single freaking day or hour or week or month or whatever, That especially when you're running campaigns and then you're changing and altering. And, I, you know, I have a saying, change, adapt, or die. And this is, I mean, this is where it really applies when I start talking to guys like you. Yeah, and you know what? If other people don't do it, great. It's less competition. <laughs> it sure does make it that way. Hey, let me take a break, another break here right now. It's officially tax season, and it's great to have the good folks from Liberty Tax on board at All Business. Liberty's the fastest-growing retail tax preparation firm with over 4,000 offices across North America. It's a great seasonal franchise opportunity, too. I've had many people who have written for me, said, hey, I've signed up for a franchise, either a seasonal one or a full one. Uh, as a result of listening to the show, which is great. So they're drinking their coffee, and they're uh, they're drinking the Liberty Tax Kool-Aid, as I like to say. So if you're getting into a business and add another service to your business or just need great tax prep services, look to Liberty. You can usually find them. You know, um, and I think, I can't remember, but I think the founder, I believe the founder got the idea for Liberty Tax when he was driving down the street in Las Vegas, by the way. So there we go. We got a connection. You, do you do you do do you do your own taxes? No, <laughs> I taxes are a pain in the butt. <laughs> I don't. You probably like me. I got to pay uh, taxes in like thirty-eight states. Um, so it just drives me crazy. So I, ever since I was a, a major uh, corporate officer, they've been getting me. And then of course because I speak and travel all over the the country, and then I pay I pay taxes in some countries too. And, uh, yeah, I got to have somebody like Liberty helping me out all the time. Yeah, that's smart. Okay, I want to go into rapid fire. I want to be able to ask you a bunch of questions real quick. Won't take a couple minutes, but um, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, man. 
So this is an entrepreneur, Trevor. We thought since you're such an entrepreneur, you like to start things, we're just going to ask you a bunch of different questions around entrepreneurs. So, and I had, some of these I knew, and then others I had no freaking clue. All right. What popular pizza chain was founded by Tom Monaghan? Monaghan? I think I always screw his name up, but eh, you'll figure it out. With a $900 bank loan. Was it 900 what? $900. He had a $900 bank loan, and he founded one of the most popular, biggest pizza chains, and his name is Tom Monaghan. I'm gonna, I, I know I screwed up his last name, so I apologize for that. I have no idea. I'm going to guess Domino's. That's right. That's the one. Domino's. Is, you know, today it's worth $4.6 billion. And then Tom's out of the business these days, but, um, man, did he build something big. I did a big television show on these guys. They had a, a, they had a show. They were running a commercial for a while, Neil. You probably remember it. It says, why, why our pizza tastes like cardboard. And I thought, what the hell? Why would a company... Why would a company put an ad on that says their pizza tastes like cardboard? You know? And so I got to thinking, what was the meeting like around the room? And you talk about reiteration and changing. Well, somebody raised their hand and said, no, we really suck. You know, everybody was talking about how good they were. And then, then the, the uh, CEO agreed with them, and they retooled it, changed it, changed their name from Domino's Pizza just to Domino's. And then they went out and told people to try our new recipes. And as a result, it was like, uh, like Super Bowl weekend. Their stock went from like 70 cents to 70 bucks. Just by being radically transparent, telling the truth. I thought that was pretty good. Okay, next question. Debbie Fields, founder of Mrs. Fields Cookies, opened her first cookie shop when she was 20 years old. What did she originally call it? Mrs. Fields? Yeah, well, that's a good, well, that's half right. I'll give you half a point. It was Mrs. Fields Chocolate Chippery. Chocolate Chippery. That's a good. That's a bullshit. I didn't know that one. Yeah, that's a kind of a bullshit name. I mean, Mrs. Fields Cookies tells you exactly what it is. It's a lot better than chocolate chippery. That's a. How did you come up with the name Kiss Metrics? By the way. Um. Keep it simple. Stupid. Silly metrics. Oh, stupid is usually what it is. Keep it simple. Stupid's kiss. But did you did you guys have silly in there? Um, It can be stupid. It can be silly. We usually say. For large corporations, we always say silly. For small ones, we say stupid. Yeah, yeah, because you, you don't want to sit there in front of the customer and call them stupid. But that's, well, maybe. Yeah. Well, at least maybe not in that meeting. Okay, Russian billionaire and Brooklyn Nets owner Mikhail Porkorov also experimented with being a musician. What musical genre did he try? Classical. No, he tried rap. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, he even called himself the Russian Eminem. <laughs> I thought that was cool. I had no clue. I've seen this guy. See, I run, I've been over to Brooklyn's Nets game a couple of times living here in New York, and so I go to the game every so often you run into the guy. Wow. Technically, uh, he would do really well as a rapper. He should, he's so rich, he could just buy his own records and hit the top of the list. Yeah, when he's that rich, you can do anything you want, right? Yeah, you get, yeah, you could, exactly. Certainly buy the followers and everything else. Well, who knows? Okay, what well-known CEO blew the roof off a factory early in his career? I have no idea. Okay, it was Jack Welch, who was the CEO of GE. He was running a pilot plant at the company, and while experimenting with a new formula, there was a small explosion and blew the roof off the building. 
Uh, and he went. Uh, yeah, that's kind of cool. I mean, and he lived. That's that's one thing too. Um, that he, the fact he didn't get fired after that. That's kind of interesting. All right, here's one. Walt Disney is one of the most famous and successful entrepreneurs. What was the name of his original cartoon character creation? I I got this one wrong. Mickey Mouse. Nope, it wasn't Mickey Mouse. In fact, Mickey Mouse, before it was Mickey Mouse, it was known, he, he, it was Monitor Mouse, and that was at Walt Disney. Uh, his first one, his first original cartoon character was when he was working at Universal Pictures. I had no clue about this. And was, he was called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And then Oswald was officially owned by Universal Pictures because Walt was working there, and which meant when Walt left the company, he needed to create a new cartoon character and that's how Mickey Mouse came into being. Now, but the first, I will tell you, the first one was, was I think, it was Monitor Mouse, or I think, I'm pretty sure it was a Monitor. Monitor, no, no, it was, uh, it was Steamboat Willie or something like that. I'll have to go look that up now. i got to go look it up. But my, it wasn't, Steamboat Willie, I think, is the name of it, was, was Mickey Mouse the first time, the first cartoon. But I, I could be wrong. But, um, but it wasn't, but Mickey Mouse did come into being after that. Well, anyway, you did pretty good. You got one of them, right? So that, no. I know, I'm like, I got the first one. That's yeah, it. exactly. But I got to tell you, most people never, that's what we like about it. It's it's meant to just be interesting and fun, and people go, and then they go look it up. Like, I guarantee you there's, you know, we got like 100,000 people who listen. So so I'll guarantee you people are now Googling or Binging or whoever you use, uh, Mickey Mouse and uh, Walt Disney to find out. Somebody should probably... Um, you should. We should. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Macal. I'm gonna go find out his his song. I'm gonna listen to his song and see if he sucked or not. Bet you he really had to suck. He must have sucked really bad. Anyway, <laughs> it probably did. Yeah. Well, as a billionaire, he probably he's probably if he did suck, the reviews have been pushed way, 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 way down. If he's smart, he's got enough money to push the reviews down on the search engines. <laughs> The reviews are great because he bought. Or that too, yeah. Well, there's there's always Yelp. Hey, I want to give you a chance for, um, you know, a shameless plug, man, because you've been great to do to do this with me and be here with me today, and I appreciate it. Because uh, I know I'm getting a, getting you up early, so I appreciate that. Um, wh- wh- is there anything you'd like to push, plug? You could be a business, could be a charity, could be whatever you want. I don't care. If you want to learn more about marketing for free, check out neilpatel.com. I have an amazing webinar that's all for free on the homepage. Awesome. I'm going to go listen. So you should too. So let's do that. Hey, Neil, it's been a pleasure. I thank you very much for being a part of this, man. All right. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Fortinet. Hey, thanks for joining me. And at the end of every show, I always like to talk about the things I learned. And I, you know, I had one big learning in the middle of it, which I'm not going to touch base on because you already heard me say that was one of them. But also, I think the other thing is, why don't we take a look at how people are looking at us or using us? And we don't do that enough. We don't take a look at the analytics. And then it's in the numbers. It's in the numbers. The numbers never lie. You know, we, we trust our gut a lot of times, but what's more important is to really trust the metrics. I'll bet you you find when you look at the metrics, you know, where you're using a heat map or you're looking at the A-B testing to find out which message is working or which design might be a little bit better. And if you if you were to take some time to spend to do that, you might find a pony in there somewhere, you know, some white space or what they may call green space, where you can go to a new area that you didn't know you had before based on the way people are responding. So analytics, man, they don't lie. 
So get it. You need to get it. And then the other thing I think he said is you're not spending enough time doing the backlinks, and that's one of the key things. So go look that up, figure out what that is, know how to do it. And then don't forget about always mastering the user experience. I think that's good. If you know, I've always said if you capture user experience, if you capture behavior, you'll make a load of money. If you try to change behavior, man, all you're going to do is build a baseball field in the middle of Iowa that no one will come to. So there you go. Don't hope and don't don't build it and hope they'll come. Build it to know that they will come and they'll come there often and then they'll tell their friends. And that's what I need you to do too is tell your friends to listen into All Business with Jeffrey Hazel right here on the cbsplay.it platform or, you know, on iTunes. I appreciate it very much. Talk to you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.